Um, but hey, I want to pray for us just this morning. I really believe God wants to speak something powerful and impactful into each and every one of our lives. Uh, so let's just pray together. God, we thank you just for uh, the opportunity that you've, you've brought us here together uh, to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. And God, we pray right now that uh, all the words that come out of my mouth, God, that they wouldn't just be from me. God, they'd be from you. I pray that uh, you would uh, work as you do, God, that you would speak into people's hearts this morning. God, they would receive it and walk out of this place in a different place, living a much different life than the way they did when they came in. God, we thank you. We love you in your name. Amen. All right. So uh, raise your hand if this has ever happened to you. Either you've, so, Eddie already, man. So come on. Enthusiasm. Heck yeah. So uh, if you uh, have had a parent or a guardian or you are a parent and you've said or heard this, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Yeah, that's like a hundred times worse, right? Like, man, like, I'm disappointed in you, right? Like, so it's, what's really crazy is, um, I remember when I was younger, uh, my dad, he, he used to do this to me a few times, and don't worry, like, me and my dad are good, so we're not like, oh man, you're like, this is like, wow, really awkward here. Um, we're, we're in a good place, so I just want to let you know that ahead of time, but uh, my dad, that was one of the things that he would do. And so it became ingrained in me that no matter what I do, I'm a disappointment to my dad. Like, I have to follow the rules and to be obedient to the rules just so I lessen the degree of disappointment my father has in me. Right? So that kind of became my go-to, my norm. That's like the thing that I would kind of rest on. Now, the interesting thing is that when I, when I moved to Kansas, it totally changed. It was the complete opposite. It's like, hey, like, Dad's not around. I'm a Christian. I grew up a Christian. I believed in following the rules. But, man, like, Jesus wants to show me something new. He wants me to get, have freedom in all this stuff. So I'm going to go out and party and get drunk and do all this stuff because Jesus just wants me to be free. It's all about me and my freedom, right? You know? Isn't it funny how we kind of manipulate, like, yeah, like, that's what Jesus wants for me in reality. But the funny thing is that, you know, like, there's no fear in disappointing my dad at that point, right? There's no fear in that because he doesn't know what I'm doing, so I can just go ahead and do whatever I want. But the thing is, that didn't bring true freedom at all. You know why? Because it was about, like, my freedom, Right? Where there's freedom, it's freedom for all people. It's freedom for everybody. So for me, my attitude was like, how dare you interfere with my freedom, right? Like, I am going to oppress you because you're interfering with my freedom, right? That was the attitude that I had. That wasn't true freedom at all. It was just nothing but pure bondage. So here's the thing. Obedience to Christ isn't about just following the rules. It's not about just... I'm doing what I have to so I don't disappoint dad or I don't disappoint my heavenly father. It's not just about following the rules. That's not what obedience is. Freedom in Christ isn't about doing whatever you want regardless of the consequences either. So the thing is, my mentality was, I am going to try to boil my relationship with God down to a formula. And if I stick to that formula, God has to love me. God has to love me if I, if I figure him out. 
How many of you know that doesn't work? That's, that's not what God has for us. That's what religion is all about. Religion is, how can I get God to love me? What do I have to do to come into right relationship with God? It produces striving, and that's not what we're about. Because the reality is that God has something so much more, something more powerful for each and every one of us. And the cool thing is, there is absolutely nothing you can do to get God to love you more. There's nothing, absolutely nothing. He already does. Take a look at uh, this verse. In John 3, 16 through 17, it says this. It's a common verse. You see it at sporting events. People always hold up the signs. But people often have a tendency of uh, excluding the follow-up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. It's not just a love that God has. It's a so love. God didn't just love us. God so loved us. There's a depth to it. You can hear it when you read it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, this is important. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here's the deal. God didn't bring condemnation with him when Jesus came into the world. He brought salvation. One of the things, uh, there was a group of guys who got together yesterday, and uh, we were talking about uh, dreams. And uh, the feelings you get when you wake up from a dream. Uh, How do you know if it's like God speaking to you through that dream, or how do you know if it's just, that's me being weird, or if it's the enemy? And the interesting thing that I took from that was, if you feel conviction, you know that's from God. If you feel condemnation, that's not from God. Does that make sense? Condemnation being, you're a horrible person. You have so much shame. You have so much to be ashamed of. You can never be made right with God. That's what condemnation looks like. This verse here, verse 17 God didn't send his son into the world to condemn us, but to save it. He brought salvation. He brought conviction. There's a difference. So what does it look like? How do we follow God? Today we're really going to be focusing on the greatest commandment. We're going to be spending a majority of our time here in Matthew 22. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. We're going to be hanging out most of our time there this morning. So we're not doing this religiously, as in, here can I get God to love me. This is what we're to do. This is how we're to follow God. Take a look at Matthew 22, verses 34 through 39. Now, I do want to preface this by saying there's a lot here. We're actually going to go through this, uh, ver- these verses a few times just to, to break it down a little bit. But uh, I just want to pre-warn you ahead of time that Man, we went through this like four times. Yes, that's intentional, I promise. Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
So let me give you a little bit of context here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay, these are two groups of religious, uh, you could think of them as like lawyers, right? They were religious leaders. They were trained in the law. Uh, that was what they basically debated between the two of them. They had different uh, opposing views of certain things in uh, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was considered the law. So they would regularly just debate each other on all these different laws. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, there's actually 613 different laws, okay, with all sorts of arbitrary divisions. For example, 248 of the laws uh, deal with, uh, there's like some kind of representation, 248 and 365, the 248 is representative of the number of parts on the human body. The 365 deals with how many days there are. Uh, another sort of uh, division would be that there's laws that are considered affirmative. So these are the things that you should do. There's laws considered negative. These are the things you shouldn't do, right? Don't kill people. Okay, yeah, I could do that. That's, that's pretty easy, right? There's laws that are considered heavy. These are really hard to follow. These laws are so hard to follow. Then there's laws that are considered light. These are really easy to follow, right? Like, don't kill people. I, I can get away with that. I, you know, I'm, I'm not swinging my fist all over the place, hoping it hits somebody and knocks them out and sends them to the hospital, and then they die. Like, that's just not me. I don't do that, right? If you do that, I pray for you, because that's like, <laughs> man, you need counseling. Um, all right, so, so these, these groups of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they debate for countless hours about all these different things, which were negative, which were positive, which were light, which were heavy, how does it work? And so uh, let's take a look back at verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. An expert in the law. The Pharisees and Sadducees were already experts in the law. So for this verse to draw even further attention is basically saying this guy's like the expert of experts right? He's an expert of experts in the law. He knows everything. He knows all the divisions. He's trained. He, he's, he studied it extensively. He knows. So it was funny. I was trying to think of an analogy ahead of time uh, that would kind of compare this to something that's like more modern. <coughs> Excuse me. Everybody knows who Leonardo DiCaprio is, right, in here? He's a really famous actor, right? He never won an Academy Award until just about a year and a half ago, two years ago. But he was like the one guy who, I mean, it was huge news. Every Academy Award, it's like, dude, this guy's getting snubbed, like, every time. They're just not giving it to him. What's the story here? And he was, he, I mean, he's an incredible actor. He did so many different roles with just uh, such, much, such passion. He put everything he had into it. So he knows a thing or two about acting, now, about 15 years ago, there's another well-known actor, maybe not well-known for his acting ability, who won an Academy Award. Uh, his name is Nicolas Cage. You guys, <laughs> do you guys know who Nicolas Cage is, right? Yeah, right? He's kind of crazy. Like, there's memes all over the Internet about him. He's just, like, he's kind of a, like, kind of, people laugh at him a little bit. Like, okay, like, you're kind of ridiculous. He takes roles that are really weird. But he won an Academy Award, like, 15 years ago. So prior to 2016, this would be like 
Leonardo DiCaprio sitting down and Nicolas Cage being like, bro, you don't have any Academy Awards, but I do. I know a thing or two about how to act. So I'm going to come and train you what to do. Like, you don't really know what you're doing. Like, this, look at this award. One. Look at your award. Zero. Okay? Compare the two. That's like one greater than you. So I know what I'm doing. Right? That's like, that would be like the same thing. People, these, these uh, religious leaders have an expert who, look at what it says. It says they were coming to, uh, coming to, to, be, uh, where is it? 35. Sorry, I'm losing my place. One of the experts testing him, right? They're testing him. I know the law. Let's see if you really know the law, okay? Let's just check this out. I'm not sure you do, but let's just test it out. So what does Jesus do? Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. That's it. That's the end of the exchange. There's no debate, you know. The, the expert in the law is probably looking at Jesus like, all right, bro, that was pretty good. Like, you, you, you pretty much nailed it. I have no questions about that whatsoever. Nobody debates him because everybody's in agreement. Yeah, that's, that's basically the 613 laws broken down into two sentences. Love God, love others. So easy, right? Is it really easy, though? That's what we're going to talk about. First, we've got to love God. What does that look like? Take a look back at verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. In the original Greek, the word all, it means all. Yeah, yeah. It means all, right? It means everything that you are. All that you are. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all of it. He's not saying love God more when you come to a Sunday service. He's not saying love God more when it's convenient or it's comfortable, right? He's not saying you know, you can kind of shut that off when you go to work and you're having some interesting conversations around the water cooler, you know, or you're at school. He's not saying that. He's saying do it with everything that you are in all circumstances, no matter what. That's hard. That's hard to do. With everything that you are. Why does he say it? Take a look back at Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 28 says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think naturally we want to find rest for our souls. I think that's our intention but then when it comes to following through on that, that's really hard, right? Man, like, financial situations coming up. I don't know if I can pay my bills. God, you wanted to give me rest for my souls. Jesus said, hey, come to me. 
I'll give you rest for it. Your situation is not bigger than I am. You have a situation with a professor at school. Man, like, I just feel like this guy is giving me bad grades because I have certain positions on things. You know what? Go to Christ. He'll give you rest for it. That's what freedom in Christ looks like. You can't find that anywhere else. You can't. The second part of this is to love others. Take a look back at Matthew uh, twenty-two thirty-nine. And the second is like it. The second law is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know what's interesting is, and you know, I, I don't really hear this a lot. Uh, usually the big piece in here is love others, okay? But what did he say? He said, love others as you love yourself. So the implication in this is that you love yourself. Right? Jesus isn't saying that's a bad thing. What's really interesting is I went online and I just I was curious. I'm like, what is what, what are some like synonyms for self-love? Like what are some synonyms for self-love? These are the things I found. By the way, they're all negative, okay? I just I thought it was really funny. So conceit, narcissism, vanity, and egotism. Jesus isn't talking about those things, okay? Our natural tendency is to equate self-love as being corrupt. But really, it just means that we care about the welfare of our soul and our body. It means we care about the welfare of our soul and our body. Where are we at? So Jesus is saying, with as much as we care about those things, as much as we care about preserving our own life, preserving our soul, preserving our body, that is how we're to treat other people. That's how we're to love other people. It's selfless. It's selfless love. It's not selfish. It's selfless. So here's the connection between these two parts. Number one, you can't love other people if you don't love God. You cannot love other people if you don't love God. Take a look at this verse in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 8 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from where? Love comes from where? Okay, one more time. Love comes from where? God, right? Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Did you catch it? Love comes from God and God is love. You don't know what true love is if you don't know God because God is love. God is love. He's not the romanticized version, right? It's not like in Jerry Maguire where it's like, you complete me, right? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about like a really watered-down version of love that's like, hey, like, I just, dude, I love these tacos, man. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a passionate, all-consuming, pursuant love. That's what we're talking about. That's the love that God has for each and every single one of us. So when we understand that, 
when we understand that God is love, only then can we love other people. So you truly can't love other people if you don't love God. The second thing, you can't love God if you don't love other people. Notice, they both support each other. You cannot love God if you don't love other people. How do I know this? Glad you asked. Let's take a look at John chapter 13. Verse 34 through 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people, everyone, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now flip back to 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. 1 John chapter 4, it says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Dang, that's pretty harsh. By the way, I, I'm just throwing this out there. Nobody really likes to be called a liar, right? You know, it's like you say something. No, you're a liar. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad you drew this to my attention because I had no idea, right? If you hate a brother or sister, you're a liar. Sometimes the, the scripture it just like cuts right to it, man. Gets to the point. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So here's the deal. This is going to be kind of challenging, so I just want to preface you for that. Maybe you have a relationship that's filled just with tension, right? You walk into a room, you know who that person is. In your mind right now, it's like, man, that person is just sticking out. You know if you have tension in that relationship. Maybe it's unresolved conflict, or uh, maybe just a challenge. You're like trying to sneak away, like, man, I just don't want to deal with this. But here's the question. If there's tension in that relationship, are you really loving that person by just ignoring the problem? Are you loving that person? Maybe the best thing to do would just be, hey, like, I don't know what this tension is, but I just feel it when I'm around you. Can we talk about it? You know? Doing something out of comfort isn't necessarily just love. If I'm comfortable just ignoring that person, I'm not really loving them. Right? Here's the interesting thing. This morning we're going to engage in communion together. The word community actually comes from the word commune, which is where we get communion. We don't eat and drink communion. We don't take communion. We participate in communion. We engage in communion. Why? Because it's about community. It's about community with God. It's about our community with other people, the people here. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Verse 27, it says this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Here's something that I think is natural and it happens. We normally engage in communion uh, the first of the month. And I think we can make it become routine. We can make it about some religious activity that we do. Right? But that's not what it's about. It's about remembering Christ. It's about remembering the community that I'm in with, with Him. It's about remembering the community I'm in with other people. So what does it mean to examine yourself? Really, it's simple and it goes back to the first commandment. The first part, am I loving God with all that I am? Really, am I truly loving God with all that I am? In other words, have you repented? Have I repented of my sin? Am I following Christ? If that's not the case, out of respect, I I would just ask that you not take the bread and the cup. That's what what Scripture tells us. And there's there's no shame in not taking. If you're just in that place and you're like, man, I, I don't know if I've repented. I don't know if I'm following Christ. In a minute, I want to give you an opportunity to to make a change, to follow through on that. You'll have that opportunity in just a minute. I think one of the ways you know if if you want to is if you just feel conviction right now. Like, your heart's like pounding. Like, man, I haven't done that. I want Christ. I want the fullness of life that he has to offer. If your heart's pounding, it's, man, like, that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit doing that right now. The second question, am I loving others as I love myself? Am I loving others as I love myself? If you're here in this room and you know there is known conflict between you and another person, what does Jesus say? Jesus tells us to leave our gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. He tells us not to follow through on religious activity for the sake of it, but no, it's about preserving that relationship. Go and be reconciled with that person before you go and do this. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few minutes in this room. There's going to be some background music playing, and if you fall into either of those categories, if you haven't accepted Christ and you want to, you want to experience the fullness he has, I want you to come right up here and talk to me. We're going to be dismissed in a moment. But I want you to come right up and talk to me. If there's multiple people, that's fine. All of you come up. We'll have people available. But don't miss out on this opportunity. You might not get another chance. If you're following Christ and there's a conflict with another person in this room or in this community then resolve it. Go and talk to that person right now. Go and talk to that person. Hey, like, 
what's going on between us. I'm sorry if I did anything to hurt you. How can I make it right? You know, have that conversation. If it's somebody who's not in the room, you can go out in the lobby and make a phone call and take care of it. If it's something that's going to take more than a couple minutes, put it down in your calendar. Mark it. Make sure, hey, like, I want to get together and talk through some of the things that are causing tension in our relationship. But what I would ask is, if that's unresolved, then I ask you not to take the bread and the cup. Okay? And I just want to let you guys know, we're not up here, we're not sitting taking note of, oh, that person didn't go up and take the bread and the cup. Like, we're not taking note of that. So I want to, you know, give you a little comfort in that. But what I do want us to do is to be doing it in a way that's honoring to God and also honoring to other people simultaneously as we enter into communion with God. So we're going to take a few minutes. There's going to be some music playing. Like I said, if you want to accept Christ, I want you to come right up and talk to me. And when you're ready to take the bread and the cup, feel free to go ahead and and partake.